Welcome back to the Slutrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Anna D, aka The Professional Goddess, here to empower women to build their own empire and interview sluts who like to make money. On my podcast, I give you a peek inside my life as a girl boss, mentor, retired cam girl, viral TikToker, and now 1% OnlyFans creator. I share my ups and downs of running a multi-million dollar business and the difficult yet sexy path to success. So, my dear slutchpreneurs and my boss bitches in training, grab your notebooks, put on your crown, and if you're a new listener, it's an honor to have you here. Get ready to take a peek inside my pleasure chest. In today's episode, we will be talking to Los Angeles-based retired stripper and now author, Christine McDonald. She has recently released a riveting memoir called Face Value, From Working the Pole to Bearing My Soul, about her real-life triumph over tragedy. Christine is very public about her struggles with sex work and mental illness, and it is her passion to speak to people about finding value and embracing what they consider to be their flaws. So let's welcome this beautiful slutpreneur to the show today. Thank you for being here, Christine. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to meet you. This is awesome. I'm so happy, and it's an honor to share your story today. I think what interest me the most was like going back to your childhood, you were diagnosed with, I'm going to try to say this right, acne congoblata. Congoblata. You got it, girl. Yep, that's it. (laughs) All right. We love a Google pronunciation (laughs) before the show. (laughs) So that's a rare and severe skin disease that left about 80% of your face permanently scarred. Tell me about that experience. And I just, I just have to say like, I like as someone who is tattooed, obviously that's my choice. I get defensive when people point out that I'm a a tattooed person every time I'm in public. So is this also something you still face and how do you, you handle that after so many years? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And especially with people who work, like if it's, if I run into an esthetician, they'll come up to me and say, I'm sorry to intrude, but did you know that there's lasers out and that can help you and not they have no idea who I am they have no idea I've already had nine surgeries since mm-hmm. the age of 15 and those were back before late this is like 1984 back before lasers were even a thing and um, so I politely say thank you very much but man I used to get really defensive about it because people don't know your story right and I just try and be very kind because children will still come up and say, mommy, why does she have a thousand holes in her face? Because my face, the scarring is deep craters. And even with all the surgeries and again, before the lasers, I had old fashioned dermabrasions, mm-hmm. not to be confused with the mycodermabrasions, but right. they, these are where they take, they grind your whole face down and you, it's basically just a scab. And then for after two weeks, you, you know, you unwrap the mummy and the scars are still there, but they're a little softer. So the way I handle it is with grace. And I've, I just try to remember that everybody has a story and some people just don't have a filter, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the fucking truth. <laughs> I know. I'm like, if you catch me on a good day, I'll tell you about like the pain threshold of getting tattooed. I'll tell you my favorite one. But if you catch me on a bad day, I'm like, oh, I actually really enjoy pain. That's why I get tattooed. (laughs) 
<laughs> I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. I have a I have a few. So from 13 to now, like where did the confidence come into play with dealing with something that was on your face that everyone saw? Like where was there a transition or was it really gradual over time? It was really gradual over time. In the very beginning, and I talk about this in the book, I just used drugs and alcohol to numb my pain because I was being bullied. You know, they called me Freddy Krueger and Moonface and Craterface and all these things in high school. And when you're at such a young age, I just... I just wanted to evaporate. You know, I had these uh, suicidal ideologies. I mean, it was just pretty heavy. And then, of course, I found this tripper pole, and that was the ultimate validation. I mean, even though I was still, you know, had heavy scars on my face, but it was the era of the Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, Poison. So I worked that hair, girl. I had the hair all, like, everywhere, and I, I used it to fluff around my skin. And so that helped me sort of with my confidence, because once I was on stage, I was flawless in my mind. And then when I started really getting into therapy, I'll never forget, I had a therapist tell me, instead of trying to pretend your scars don't exist, I want you to embrace them because it's part of who you are and you are amazing. So I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, we're going to dig a little deeper here and get into my self-worth. So it was very, very gradual. And now I think it also comes with age because I'm I'm at an age where if you don't like it, don't look at it. Do you know what I mean? It's like when you're young, you worry so much about how you look and what people are going to think. As soon as I hit 40, I'm 54 now. After I turned 40, I was like, I just don't give a fuck anymore. You know? Yes, I I totally agree. Do you feel like bullies online are a different breed than bullies in person? Oh, for sure. Yeah. They're, I mean, everyone is so you know the trolls. They uh they don't hold back, man. But th- they're just. I just look at them like hurt people hurt people, right? I mean, they can be super, they're just assholes, but they don't know who we are. They, they have no idea. They're just looking for an, a place to, a platform to, to be mean. And so, yeah, they're a little, they're a little bit braver behind their avatars. You know, I have, I have so much empathy, but I still can't figure out how you, how you dig down deep and actually like hurt someone online like that. Like I've never commented on someone's anything and been like, Mm -hmm. you look disgusting. Like, I mean, A, I have a brand and it'll come back and bite me in the butt. But like, I just, I, I truly don't, I guess people just find joy and pleasure in that. They do. Yeah. I really think they do. And, and honestly, it's a learned behavior. It's like, yeah, no child is born a racist. You've heard that expression. No child is born a bigot. Same thing with the trolls. You know, I'm sure. And again, I, I have empathy for them and, but I'm not going to, I don't, it's not a pass, right? They're still assholes and I'm not going to, I'm going to not going to engage with them. I've, made yeah. the mistake of engaging with them on, on um, TikTok. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just goes down a rabbit hole of negativity. I'm like, this is stupid. This is toxic. And I just closed my laptop. No, because they, yeah. they beat you with experience. And and people are like, don't, don't read the comments. Don't listen to the haters. And I'm like, how else are you supposed to build feedback in a business if you don't <laughs> engage with your fucking comments? And exactly, you know, if you're in school and you bully someone like you'll get suspended. But on the internet, it's it's just the wild fucking West. So it's it is. it's crazy because it, in real life, 
live sex work, virtual sex work, these are very two different things. And stripping in the 80s sounds like a dream come true (laughs) to me. And I just that feeling, like you said, being on stage, it's dark, you know, I'm I'm very self conscious about my my nose. And I think being a dancer and like having a little alcohol and putting on something sexy. It's like the last thing people were looking at was my nose. It was, you know, my great tits or my legs, my ass. Mm -hmm. Your first night stripping. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was with my girlfriend. And oh, my God, what a juicy story this is. I'm going to I'm just going to say you'll have to read the book. It was basically a gal that I found was fucking the guy that I was fucking. So uh, the chapter is called The Other Woman. And I ended up finding a photograph of her in my, I was coked out of my mind, by the way. So yeah, snooping through my quote unquote boyfriend stuff. And I found a picture of her and I ended up just calling her saying, hey, I don't know if you know who I am. And long story short, we went out for drinks. I kicked the dude out and then she moved in. Oh my God. Yeah. Sisters before misters every single time. Right. And so her and I became close. I was a a receptionist at a hotel. And oh, this is all in Waikiki, by the way, where I'm from, Waikiki in Hawaii. So I'm a receptionist making about $500 a month back in the late 80s. She just moved from uh, Los Angeles to Hawaii and decided to be, she's an excellent dancer, decided to be a topless dancer at this club. So she was coming home with like $600 in a night. And I'm thinking, whoa, okay, I need to, I need to look into this. And so she was the gal that really convinced me to do it. So it was a wet t-shirt contest. And I just thought I'm going to go for it. And I ended up winning the contest. And that was my new that was my new career. But it was Bon Jovi, Wanted Dead or Alive, that is what was playing when I walked, I walked into the club. And so picture it, the sun is setting in Hawaii, the sky is just beautiful amethyst color, you know, it looks like it's on the clouds are on fire. And I'm walking into this dark strip club. So it took a while for my eyes to sort of um, get used to the darkness because I was just outside where there's palm trees and sand. So all of the floor was covered in like traces of sand from Waikiki (laughs) Waikiki Beach. And it was mostly military guys because Hawaii is like, a big hub for military, all the military branches. So yeah, I just felt like I was the first, it was my first day at school and uh, I had a blast. I had a blast. It was awesome. So with, with that happening the first night, I mean, did you, was money coming in consistently or was it very up and down? Because I feel like stripping can be some, a sort of a drug because you get that rush of so much money or you're seeing, you know, the girls around get so much money, but then all of a sudden it's not as promised income as we think it is? Like, how did you manage that? Mm -hmm. Good question. In the beginning, it was pretty consistent. We sold table dances for $5. And so my brilliant marketing mind at age whatever, I think I was 19 or 20, um, was like, well, if they give me a 20, I'm just going to keep dancing. So there was never change given when, mm-hmm. when the $20 was given to me. So I just kept dancing and grinding their their laps and doing whatever I had to do. So I quadrupled my money with each dance I sold, which is awesome. But to answer your question about navigating the slow you know, nights versus the lucrative nights, not easy, especially when you're that age, because money is so fluid when you're a stripper. It's like, you know, if there's a bill that needs to be paid, I'll just hop on stage that night. So you have to learn to sort of put a little aside for those slow nights and just, you know, work your ass off. But in the beginning, I don't I don't think there was ever any 
any nights where it was like so, so slow. Mm-hmm. I heard now, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you might know this. Don't the dancers have to pay a stage fee or something now? Oh, there's so many tip outs. I mean, obviously it's it's incredibly different with every club, but you know, you're tipping the DJ, you could be tipping the house mom, the managers, the bouncers. I mean, uh, sometimes you leave the club losing money. So oh I think God. that's really important to kind of screen the club you want to work at. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you know, when you do run a business, I always try to keep in mind, like, don't look at the day to day or the night to night, look at the week to week, the month to month, mm-hmm. because if you have that $2,000 night, then that night you went in and made negative, it's, it's going to even itself out. But I think it can take a, a huge toll on your mental health because it's so based on looks and personality that you start to question yourself. Like, why is she making all this money? I'm not making yep. any money. And mm-hmm. there's alcohol around you. And in the locker room, there's powder and pills everywhere. So d- did any sort of addiction start at the club or was it before the club? It was before the club. It was my skin issues. And I was uh, sexually abused when I was 13. So those two components just really wanted, I mean, I self-anesthetized, right? I mean, I just wanted to numb out. And so I discovered cocaine when I was 16. And oh my God, what what a dream 80s drug. And also too, you think about it, and I'm not, obviously I'm not telling your listeners to do cocaine because what I, what I say in the book is as high as you get, which is awesome. I'm never going to say drugs are bad. They feel awesome. Why do you think they're an epidemic, right? But as high as you get, the lows are way worse. And you know, there's that whole dying thing that could happen. So just don't do drugs. <laughs> just don't do drugs. But by the time I got into the stripping life when I was 19, 20 years old, um, it was such a, uh, I mean, it was really hard to remember that it was illegal, to be honest with you, because everybody was doing it everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. And that was my job. You know what I mean? So it, it was, it was, uh, it just it was par for the course. And you have to remember the time, you know, if you had cocaine, you were like a glamour girl, you were like a movie star. That, that's how you felt like you're a rock star. But you know, it's just, uh, it just it goes down fast. It's the spiral goes down fast. I mean, my girlfriends and I, it, the nights we would take a Klonopin, we were so much more excited to talk to the guys we did not want to talk to, and especially <laughs> the ones who smell bad or don't even know how to have a conversation. Like it just it lowers your inhibitions. It makes you all loosey goosey, and you yeah. know it's it's just hard not to. You know how can like how can you be a sober clover and, and just know, deal right? with it you know it's just a oh lot to fucking deal with so I yeah. I mean I think for me my sub- journey with addiction has been about 15 years and I'm currently um 20 20 days sober it doesn't feel like very much to to s- express but I think getting, awesome. getting through that first week of no alcohol is tough and transitioning from doing sex work in person and drinking, but then doing it at home, it's the same thing. Like when you get on the internet and you're talking to guys, why not have a cocktail in your bedroom with your lingerie on? Like it's easy. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. actually hard and difficult to not. And do you have any tools you could share that have kept you on the straight and narrow? Because I think anyone who's doing sex work at home right now can find themselves like, why not have a glass of wine if I'm about to go live or do this custom and having to double penetrate myself, which I don't really want to do? <laughs> 
Oh, that's funny. I, you know what, if I feel like if you recognize, because we know ourselves better than we think, right? So if you recognize, and by the way, congratulations on the, on the 20 days. I think it's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's very cool. Um, I think that when you recognize that there's an issue there, for me, the best advice I got was to play the tape through. And that is something that I learned in therapy. In other words, if I'm thinking about having any kind of drug or, you know, any kind of, if, I, if I'm just thinking about partying, I have to sit there and play the tape through. Like, this is not going to end well because it doesn't work for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I have um, a line of cocaine because I'm at a party and somebody offers me cocaine, and I go, ah, fuck it. You know, I've done it before. I'm fine. That will turn into like two days of partying. So to play the tape through is sort of a reminder that, you know, you've done this before. This is not you're not a stranger to this, whether it's alcohol, whatever your vices that you're struggling with. And just remember that let's go back into the catalog of your memories and say, oh, yeah, it never ends well. It mm -hmm. always ends up with me making a bad mistake. Like if somebody gets smokes a little too much pot and goes online and orders a bunch of stuff and the next day they get these Amazon packages and they're like, oh, what did I just do? You know, I'm reading this book called Atomic Habits and it says anything that feels really good is usually a bad habit. And anything that feels like bad and hard to do is usually a good Oh my habit. God, that's so funny. I swear to God, that's so true. You know, even just like working out or eating well, it's like, how can you learn to trust yourself to do these hard things? Because you know, on the, the time scale, it's just a, a long-term investment. And I think, you know, things like drugs are just a short-term investment on happiness that have the long-term effect of like damaging your skin and in your voice and all these things that are like your money makers, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You mentioned in your book, you say the most important message in your story is that we don't need to play with the cards that some of us are dealt as children. We can simply toss the deck and start over with new healthier tools and that many of us spend a lifetime seeking validation and something we'll never receive until we find it within ourselves. So with this, I kind of thought about, to me, I'm, th I'm thinking it's like, you know, we're handed these cards like, how can we capitalize on the cards we're dealt? Like how how can we dig deep and find the things that we were bullied for or that didn't make us feel so good about ourselves? How can we love them and build a career out of them almost? Like how has your experience been with that? Mm, great question. You know, what, as soon as we own... Spring is in the air, lovelies, and with it comes a fresh wave of energy, blossoming flowers, and endless possibilities. But you know what puts an extra skip in my step? My fabulous partners at Viahem. Trusted by a whopping 250,000 plus goddesses just like you, Viahem's products are just like a magical wellness wand in a bottle. Feeling a bit frazzled after a hectic day? Cue the Via gummies for instant relaxation. Battling stress and anxiety? Don't worry, there's a gummy for that too. And for those intimate moments, Via has concocted something truly special. High Love Gummies, infused with pleasure-boosting cannabinoids, libido-reviving herbs, and just the right touch of THC, these gummies are your ticket to an electrifying experience between the sheets. But wait, there's more. Via offers an array of other gummies, with or without THC, catering to every goddess's needs. Whether you prefer a subtle 2mg dose or a bolder 50mg kick, 
Aya has your back. From improving sleep to sharpening focus or aiding in recovery, there's a gummy for every occasion. And the cherry on top? You can easily browse and shop their collection online, categorized by strength and effect. And here's the best part, darling. Via ships discreetly to all 50 states, right to your doorstep. No medical card needed. So go ahead, indulge in a little self-care spree with Via Hemp because you deserve nothing but the best goddess. Head over to viahemp.com and use code goddess to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. 21 and up only. That's viahemp, V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com and use code goddess at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. Now back to the show. What we feel are our flaws. Like you talked about your nose. As soon as you own that, this is my nose. I'm going to fucking rock it. I'm going to own it. And this is how I am with my skin now. It's part of my story. I embrace my skin now more than I ever have. So as soon as you feel accepting and confident about what you perceive to be your flaws, I feel that it's an energy that you put out, right? So confidence is an aphrodisiac. Confidence is people can pick up on that. It's it's very strong. And so to benefit from something that you feel you're embarrassed by, like embracing it, rocking it, wearing your hair up, like for me to wear my hair up was a victory when mm-hmm. I was younger, because I didn't want anyone to see my skin. But now I, I'm rocking it. And, and I, and I, I'm very open about it with my book because hell yeah, I'm going to capitalize on it. This is a unique experience. So for me, it was just getting to the point of just saying, fuck it, this is who I am. And I'm going to be really proud of it. That's a great way to look at it. I also think when it comes to branding, when you have a profound story to tell, people remember you. And so maybe in the strip club, if you shared that story with people, it's like all of a sudden there's an emotional connection. When they see you again, they're like, I remember her. I remember what she went through or that you know, sort of thing. Was that ever talked about in your dancing career or did you try to cover up the, the scar conversation? It was talked about. Only when I was on ecstasy, I think they call it Molly. I think they call it Molly. Yeah. But I would be like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Are you going to be here? Like, don't leave me, you know, that kind of thing. And then, and then I was like, do you think I'm pretty even with my scars? Is it like, I was so focused on that. And my little sorority sister friends are like, girl, you're fine. Like I was the one, like we're, we're our own saboteurs, right? We're our own. We we're the people that get in our own way. Yeah. I remember, I remember (laughs) But they were always so kind, you know, and I've reunited with a a couple thanks to the marvels of the internet. And I I always want to ask them, how did you perceive me back in the day? Because in my mind, I was a coked up nightmare. And and they're like, no, girl, you were always really sad and insecure about your skin. But you were like the mama bear. You wanted to make sure everybody was taken care of and had their drinks and all that, you know, like a Mm -hmm. hostess kind of a thing. But yeah, that's (laughs) funny. And you also mentioned having this positive and loving inner voice that we all kind of have a cheerleader inside of us. So how do you really tune in to that cheerleader voice in your head when it is so easy to fall under the voice that's like, no, you're not good enough. No, you're not going to make enough money. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I, I always say that the devil and the angel on my shoulder, because we all have them, right? The negative and the positive in our in our heads. I say the devil and the angel on my shoulders are having a three-way with me, <laughs> with me, because I can't separate them. Like we're all entangled. So when I hear those voices, especially like, for instance, my book, who the hell's going to read it? Nobody knows who you are. You don't have a following, blah, 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 blah. And then the other side is, well, no, you've got talent and you've got a story to tell. So what I tell myself is I don't have any children. And but what I say is if I had a child, how would I talk to my child if they had the same thoughts mm-hmm. and the same issues? Or if, you know, one of my best friends came to me and said, you know, I'm thinking about writing this book and I don't think I have the chops. What would I tell my best friend? So why don't we tell ourselves? Why don't we why don't our own inner voices say the same to ourselves as we would to our loved one, right? 100%. So yeah, just be kind to yourself. And just remember, would I be talking to my girlfriend this way? Would I be talking to my, my child this way? No. So flip the script and make sure that you're talking to yourself with the same kindness you would give to a loved one. That's so true. We It's amazing to take a step back and see how we love others and then compare that to how we love ourselves and kind of having to really <laughs> dig deep there as to the why. And, you know, like you said, learning by example, you know, maybe our our moms spoke badly to themselves and we kind of picked up on that trade and things mm-hmm. in childhood if if we were told we weren't good enough. So I think it, it takes either a whole lot of practice or a whole lot of therapy. <laughs> oh, for sure. Rewiring our brains is a lifelong journey. I swear to you, like there are so many of us that need to rewire our brains, right? From from the stuff that we learned as kids. So yeah, it's it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. I'm curious, speaking of maybe a good drugs, have you tried uh, magic mushrooms before? I love them. <laughs> oh my God. If I could function every day and microdose, I would. Yes. I, I love how it expands your mind. It makes you feel like, especially if you're a creative person, it sort of just puts you on this magic carpet ride. But you know, caveat is if you have an issue with substances, do not mm-hmm. try this at home. And then if you know yourself well enough to know, like for me, I'm I'm an addict. So I stay away from that because it just is going to open up all sorts of different yeah. rab- rabbit holes for me to go down. But yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for anything that expands your mind and your consciousness in a safe environment, of course. No, that's interesting because for me, I, I feel the same way. Like if it's something I really enjoy, I, I obviously want to do more of it. But it's once you take <laughs> that one mushroom trip that's a little too much, then you you're like, okay, now I know how to control yeah. myself. I'm not why doing are, that again. <laughs> right? Why Why is the carpet looking like a wave? And why are the walls breathing? Yeah. Uh, and then like a week later, you see something moving and you're like, when will this shit leave? <laughs> <laughs> That was the one thing I have to say back in my 20s. I was like, okay, it's been two days. When is this going to rub off? Like, hello. That's just sort of like, uh, maybe I took too much. (laughs) So you mentioned that sharing your journey has given you a purpose with the pain that you suffered. And what advice would you give to people who have suffered a great pain or struggle and are scared to share their story with the world? Mm, Well, the first thing I'll say is, you're not alone. Whoever out there is listening and they feel like, you know, they're struggling with something and you've had some significant pain in your life, you're not alone. And to be able to share your story is in a way you're, you're going to help someone else. So for me to share my story, especially with something so 
specific, right? Like the acne conglobata is very severe cystic acne where you have blood filled golf ball sized cysts that break open in your sleep. It's not something that you see every day. In fact, I don't think I've ever met another woman who's had this disease. I've had a few men that have found me through the internet and Mm -hmm. shared their stories. But I would just say to really just wrap your arms around yourself and know that number one, you didn't do anything wrong. Give purpose to your pain. And when I say give purpose to your pain, I mean, it could not have been all for nothing. Your Mm -hmm. suffering was meant for lessons and empowerment. And, you know, lessons are always wrapped in really painful packages. And I think that the reason why is because we wouldn't learn them otherwise. If it didn't hurt so much, we wouldn't learn. Mm-hmm. So when somebody's going through or if somebody has survived a struggle or, or anything like that, just remember it's all for a purpose and not knowing what the purpose is, is okay. You know, mm-hmm. but I think that's it's the very first thing to do is to share your pain because it'll help you understand you're not alone and it'll help someone else. And boy, what a feeling, what a feeling when, when you get an email or a hug from someone who just says, oh my gosh, me too. That's huge. So yeah. And like you said, it's it's very empowering to own it because it's like it doesn't own you anymore. You've released it, that mm-hmm. energy out of your core. And it's when I go through like my professional dashboard on Instagram, my most engaging posts are always the ones where I'm crying <laughs> and <laughs> like being very vulnerable and yucky. And it's like it's those moments that people will come together in the comment section and just share and say, thank you for saying what I couldn't say. So sometimes, like you said, you're being a catalyst for other people's healing. And once you've felt what that feels like, like, holy shit, like people live their whole lives trying to find purpose and getting Mm -hmm. that feeling of of being able to touch multiples and and now with the internet being able to do that uh, so easily and virtually, it's it's a little overwhelming. But the last thing I did want to talk about was this book writing experience. I know there's a lot of slutchpreneurs listening who are in sex work or they're starting their own companies. And it's all hard. None of it is easy. I don't know one sex worker who says it's easier. One entrepreneur <laughs> says it's easy. <laughs> like, name one. <laughs> so to me, I'm like, A, you bad bitches need to be documenting the shit out of what's happening, like journaling every day about a good thing, a bad thing. Like that's something that's very easy to start. But what would your like bundle up a little bit of advice for kind of like the book writing process, how that looks, because just writing on paper is completely different than what happens when you need to get something published? Yes, for sure. It's different. And I love that you, um, acknowledge the fact that it's not easy. And, you know, because a lot of people might think, oh, you're just bending over for a buck and you know, anybody can do that. No, no, no. It's so much more. It's psychological. It's physical. It's all these challenges that any sex worker, I mean, if you know, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would recommend is finding local writers groups. And if you have the uh, means to join writers conferences in your area, and then just start, just start, really. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think 
think that what what you said about journaling is a, a very smart way to go about it because my book was really a blog turned into a book. And of course, it's mm-hmm. not just a collection of blogs, but it started out like the genesis of my book was from 15 years ago. I had a blog called Pull to Soul. I went from working the pole to bearing my soul. I know it's cheesy, but my, <laughs> I love everybody it. gets everybody gets my last name wrong. They spell it MC or, you know, it's because it's, mm-hmm. it's MAC. MAC. So I would say just start by writing journals and then the process of getting a book published, you have three cho- you have three avenues. You have three ways that you can go about doing it. You could self-publish, which costs a lot of money and um, you're going to need to know all the resources, like who are your marketing pros, who are your editors. You're going to have to hire an editor, a publicist and all of those things. A hybrid publisher, which is what I went with, hybrid publishers are great because if you don't have a platform, in other words, if you're not a real housewife, if you're not somebody who's going to, you know, your book's going to automatically come with millions of people wanting your book, hybrid publisher is a great way to go because it's a small investment for the author and you do have to submit your manuscript and get accepted. So that's where the hiring the editor comes into play. You know, I hired a personal editor from just writers groups that I met and just to get my manuscript in fighting shape. In other words, just to get it in the the exact way I wanted it before I submitted it to the publisher. So a hybrid publisher, what they do is they've got all the contact. They know how to put a book together. They will get your IBSN number, all of, all of the things that maybe as an author or an up and coming author, you, you don't necessarily know the business side of it. But it is, I think, the best way to go if you're not a real housewife where you can do the Simon and Schuster's or the Random or the Penguin. That is where you're going to need an agent, a literary agent. And it's sort of like getting a SAG card in Hollywood and a SAG card is Screen Actors Guild for anyone who doesn't know that. So you can't get your SAG card until you have a, a, a line in a in a production, like in a television show or a movie. Well, guess what? You can't get a line without a SAG card. Right. So it's kind of it's kind of that catch 22 with literary agents as well. You can't really get the attention of a literary agent for the most part unless you've been published in one of the big publications. So, you know, I think hybrid for me, it was the best decision I ever made. And I love love my hybrid publisher wordy. They're awesome. Yeah, it sounds like a good blend between the two. And I also, it just came to my mind, I think like copywriting my book was a whole nother expense I didn't think about. And my lawyer was like, you don't want someone just stealing the work you just did. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. fuck, like just add yep. it to the list. And yep. then trying to do the art for my book, I was like, oh God, like I need I need someone. <laughs> I need a graphic right? designer. And <laughs> and the lawyer too, because I was talking about OnlyFans and all these other sites. And she's like, no, you got to like put the right trademark in the back. You got to give all the credits for the yep. trademarks. I was like, oh my yep. God, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> I know, right? All the things that you don't want to think about, which is again, a another reason to go with a hybrid publisher. They will take care of the copyright issues. They will take care. They've got their own attorneys. I wanted to write a quote from a song, like a line from a song to start every chapter because I mean, come on, 80s hairband. I love it. Get, it's, it's awesome, right? Motley Crue, Poison, you know, Bon Jovi, all that. But I learned through my hybrid publisher that you have to pay even one line of a song because it's a copyright wow. situation. I was really bummed. It took me a while to process that because I was like, music is part of my story. The hairband music is part of my story. So what I did is at the end of the book, I just did a glossary of songs. But yeah, I to your point, yeah. there's a whole other side of the writing 
something that is the business side that you need to be prepared for. Yes. And here's where I insert a quote about how something amazing is never easy, but it's always worth it in the end. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you appreciate it more, right? When when you when you work so hard and if it came easy, we wouldn't appreciate it as much. Just like running a marathon, you know, it sucks the whole time until you get to the end. <laughs> Oh, so my dear slutpreneurs, you can find Christine on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. All of her socials are going to be linked in the episode description. And last but definitely not least, what is happening in June that you would let like to let our listeners know about? Okay, Los Angeles, Orange County. If you're if you're in the area, the Grove in Los Angeles, Barnes and Noble, Thursday, June 29th, 7 p.m. I will be there with a few special guests who are also in the book that I've reunited with, a couple old spicy dancers. I'm very excited about it. So it's a reading, it's a Q&A, and it's a book signing. So June 29th, Thursday, The Grove in Los Angeles, Barnes & Noble. Congratulations on that. I, I'm manifesting something similar. I just, no one's really here in the, the sticks of North Carolina. <laughs> LA sounds like, <laughs> your Orange County sounds like a whole lot more fun. I wish I was there to come hug you. You got to come visit. Come visit. I know. It's just, you know, just across the country. No big deal. <laughs> business expense, right? Get a plane ticket. There we go. (laughs) So thank you for giving us a peek inside your pleasure chest. I'm wishing you all the success with your book and happiness and sobriety in your slutpreneur journey. Thanks again for being on the show. Oh, I had so much fun. Thank you so much. It's the end of the show, so time to plug myself and pay some bills. So lube up. If you want to keep the show going and learn more about myself and my empire, you can check more out at professionalgoddess.com. My YouTube, mentorships, ebook series, and everything else is linked in the description of this episode, as always. And remember, every time you leave a five-star review, a slutchpreneur has an orgasm. So keep the big O's coming. Connect with your fellow girl gang in the Sletchpreneur Squad Facebook group at cehose.com. That's cehose.com. You can also just search Professional Goddesses in the Facebook search bar and it should come right up. Plus, we have a Discord chat, which is our triple X chat to help our fellow sluts out. You can get this link through the Facebook group or just shoot me an email. We'll get you in there. And lastly, if you want to get all up inside me, follow my free OnlyFans at Rebecca Blue with two Ks and my explicit page at Rebecca Rabbit. Now, all you have to do is put in OnlyFans.com backslash my username. I also offer shout outs, which can be purchased at RebeccaBlue.com or just private message me on OnlyFans. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as always, refuse to be anything but successful. Go make that money, honey. I'll see you queens next Wednesday. Bye. Bye.